Calling all Swifties and champions of change, Like a Girl Media is rolling out the red carpet for you with our Thrive Like a Girl contest. We're all about celebrating powerful women leaders who inspire us to dream big and push boundaries. And who embodies that spirit more than Taylor Swift herself? Here's your chance to see her live in concert. We're giving away two tickets to Taylor Swift's show in London on Saturday, June 22nd. Imagine being part of the magic, all thanks to Like a Girl Media. Entering is easy. Subscribe, share, and show us which episodes inspired you the most. Visit our website or check our social media for all the details. Don't just dream it, be it. Thrive like a girl and make this summer unforgettable. Contest opens globally. Voidware prohibited. Must be 18 or older to enter. No purchase necessary. Subscribe and share with hashtag thrive like a girl and tag us at like a girl underscore media for entry. Unlimited entries means unlimited chances. Winner chosen at random after contest closes May 20th, 2024. We'll be notified via DM. Make sure your profiles are not private. Check full rules on our site. This is your shot to see Taylor Swift live. Don't miss it. Welcome to the High Tea with Grace podcast, where we spill the tea on HIT. I'm thrilled to introduce Christine von Reisfeld. She is a patient extraordinaire, and I'm super thrilled to have her here. She is founder and CEO of People with Empathy. She sits on the board of the Light Collective. We love the Light Collective and is an advisor to numerous heavy hitting industry groups, offering up her powerful patient experience for the industry to learn from. Thanks for joining us today, Christine. Thanks for having me. That was quite the intro. (laughs) Well, you are quite the woman and I'm so thrilled to have you here. I just feel so honored the ways that you are so generous with your story and your experiences. It's not an easy thing to do to constantly relive your traumas for people to be able to learn from. And we just are so grateful for you to be willing to do that for us. Well, first of all, thank you for understanding that. I don't think people realize when you've been through so many years of this, right, that it is difficult to rehash and go back and realize mistakes were made and, or maybe not mistakes at the time, right? We didn't have the technology, but things were, things happened. And so it's, it is hard to go back and kind of relive all that stuff. And yet you do so because you know that there is so much power in your story and that if we can learn from it, maybe it can change for others. And that's why we are so thrilled to have you here today. So (laughs) let's dive right in and start from the beginning. You know, can you share with us a little bit about your journey as a patient with a rare disease? I know it started really early on and let's just dive in. Yeah, sure. So my experience, I, I pretty much... I don't know what it's like not to be sick. So my first surgery was at the age of five, and then that continued on. I know you saw the recent video that I released, but basically my whole life has been treating symptoms and not looking for an underlying cause. And so over time, all of the treatments and therapies that I've received have actually done more damage than some of the conditions that I have. And so looking back, right, It's just been a long journey and I have multiple diagnoses in my charts, but we are still looking for an underlying cause, which to me blows my mind, right? It's been 48 years and we're still looking. Wow. Wow. But we're closer than ever. So I'm I'm really excited. I have an amazing doctor at Stanford who's really been, I guess, crucial in this whole thing, right? It's a doctor who has admitted 
that I'm one of her most difficult patients and she really doesn't know what to do with me. So we then kind of brought in research, right? So now at my doctor's appointments, I don't bring family members. I bring the founder of an organ of a research organization research to the people. <laughs> wow. So we're on that journey. And, and I'm learning things every day. And as I'm in this space, I'm finding these new technologies that that luckily I've had the opportunity to experiment with. I don't know if that's the right word, right? <laughs> it is. It's hard to say when it's your life, you know, to experiment, yeah. you know, and it's <laughs> in trying to figure out this diagnostic odyssey and, and figure out what these diagnoses specifically are and what is the treatment. Uh, so I know you are an expert on pharmacogenomics. Um, most patients are not experts in this area yet, but most doctors aren't. And most doctors are not. So tell me, what is pharmacogenomics and how has that, you know, testing impacted your treatment journey? What do you wish that patients and caregivers knew about the role that it could play in personalized medicine? So I've always had weird side effects to medications and never realized how actually impact me different from others. But uh, a few years ago, I was, I'm at Stanford and there was a precision medicine health uh, initiative called the human-wide program. And in that human-wide program, they gave access to pharmacogenomics. I had no clue what that was at the time, right? It just sounds weird. Um, and I realized after talking to people, it's basically telling you the way that your body breaks down compounds and especially in medications, right? This is important. I have a lot of damage. So I've got three joint replacements, soon to be five. Uh, I've got brain damage and I also lost my night vision. And it wasn't because I was taking the wrong medication. It was because I had the wrong dose of the medication. And so I'm half Asian descent. And we realized that that does play a part in how I break down these compounds and these drugs. Wow. And realize that I metabolize all of these drugs differently. And so it was it was game changing, right? To be able to now see one of the things that I, I metabolize ultra rapidly is narcotics. So Vicodin and Norco and all of those drugs, they don't work for me. And and that's hard, right? You go into an ER, you look okay, and you ask for dilated by IV and they lose their minds, right? And so it's an interesting space right now because not all of the doctors that I see are knowledgeable about pharmacogenomics. Mm -hmm. I've gotten into a few discussions with physicians around using this and accessing this. Um, and even my physicians now, some of them struggle with the results that are there. What do you think is holding people back from agreeing with this research, with all of the science behind this, and with also letting you have control over your own health decisions, given what you've gone through your entire life. Yeah, well, I think I think people just don't really see the benefits yet, right? I mean, we see it in our small communities, and we see how it impacts certain people. We're aware of that, but it's I think any new technology is scary and people have doubts on whether it's going to work or I don't know, whatever the case may be, whatever their reasoning is. But I really do see pharmacogenomics as something that everybody should have access to. The three drugs that caused most of my problems were all standard of care. Mm -hmm. 
Mm, and so if goodness. we look at this, right, if we look at how we're giving and, and dispensing drugs, and even when we're going through clinical trials, we're kind of just testing it out. But if we know how somebody breaks down these compounds, we can then adjust the dose of medication to make it not toxic or not lethal and, and really kind of work around that. I'm not saying it's the end all be all, right? Because mm. we're still building mm. that database. Um, and that too takes more people getting involved and and really taking these tests to find those things. So I really don't know. I wish everybody could see the benefits. Here in California, I testified in front of the California Health Committee uh, last year for pharmacogenomics. And now in California, all of our Medi-Cal patients have access to free pharmacogenomic testing. That is awesome. It is a really cool thing, right? Especially with some of these compounds that that are lethal. And so mm. how do we kind of mitigate and, and stop these things from happening before they happen? And that's yeah. my biggest push, right? Is It's not just about the medications we're taking now. It's about the cost that this takes and the toll it takes on our lives after. So... Absolutely. All important building blocks for Mm -hmm. better diagnoses, better treatment, and more. Mm -hmm. I would love for you to elaborate on your experience working with Stanford University in this new program, which is opening up your particular experience in case to global research efforts. I mean, wow. Kind of crazy, huh? <laughs> okay, so tell us what's the name of the program and what has your experience been so far in terms of getting started with it and involved with it? Yeah, so I'll tell you, it's been 48 years, right? So mm-hmm. it, it's not like this happened overnight. Mm-hmm. Um, I transferred over to Stanford a few years ago. And then a couple of years ago, I got into coordinated care because I'm too difficult for all the regular doctors and we had to bring in another doctor to kind of, you know, Sue that all over. But what I found with my doctor was that she didn't have the resources and tools to really help me with my diagnostic journey. And so I was at a conference, and this is the first time I'm telling the story. <laughs> I feel I so at- honored. <laughs> <laughs> so I was at a conference, and I, you know, I always openly talk about my experience and how we're still searching for an underlying cause. And uh, Jason Kreitz, he's a, a guy in the industry, uh, we were talking and he said, I think you need a hackathon. He said, they do them in the cancer space and, and you should do that. So he hooked me up with Brad Powers, who then brought me to Pete Kane. And Pete Kane is the founder of Research to the People at Stanford. They're working on rare and undiagnosed a rare disease and undiagnosed rare cancers, and really trying to to build in that that research aspect, bringing data in, getting to a conclusion. Right? They've had a couple of hackathons in the past. They have another one coming up, and then my project is kind of a special side project. So, I talked to Pete. We ended up talking. I talked to my doctor, who I will say is phenomenal. I've never had a doctor that has been willing to say, I don't know, and willing to bring in research. And so that comes at Stanford with my primary care there, with a nonprofit that's working to help patients like this. And then we had Snyder Labs, 
right? So Mike Snyder runs a research lab at Stanford. I was able to get into a familial, or it's FPOP study. It's familial inherited disease. So we're looking at my genetics and then taking my parents also into, into play and seeing how we line up and then taking all of these multi-omics, multi, yeah, <laughs> taking all these omics and, and combining them really try to get me to a point of holistic care. So wow. it's been a crazy ride, right? We don't know how it's going to end up, but I'm excited. I think there's a lot in my genetics that could help other people. I'm kind of a mess, right? <laughs> but what is it that makes me a mess and keeps me here? And what is it that's in me that can help other people? So it, it's been really, really cool. So we started this whole program, we were able to get like my raw data from my genome and combining it with all of these other omics. And then we're going to, like you said, open it up to researchers around the world and just wow. see what people can come up with. So, so what we'll do you see. hope to hear? Yeah. I mean, this is an amazing sure. opportunity after like 48 years, I could cry just the opportunity <laughs> to like really understand or maybe somebody knowing something that could add some knowledge. What do you hope to hear from people? Well, it's interesting that you ask that, right? Because everybody tells me, what do you want to get out of this? You may not get anything out of it. And honestly, I'm not expecting anything. I think I may have gotten to a point where I'm a little too complicated for some of these people. Um, and for me, it's more about the research. Um, I know my history. I know the things I've been through. I know it's not normal and I should not be alive, um, but I am, right? And so how do I use this information first to kind of get to an underlying cause and maybe get me to a point of care, don't need to see so many doctors, but then also what can I give back to my community that will help them in their journeys as well? And I think what we're doing at Stanford is phenomenal. I think it's kind of setting up right, to combine clinical care with research. And I don't know, it's just really fascinating. The other day I had a doctor's appointment. Pete Kane came with me and I was telling my doctor that I was thinking that these were cytokine storms that were happening. Well, my doctor has no way to test cytokine storms or cytokines. She doesn't even know how she would do that. But we had Pete in my appointment who was able to send a message to Mike Snyder's lab. And we realized we're getting the cytokines tested within the FPOP study. And so that now is coming back to my physician and we'll see how we can interpret that into care. But wow. I'm not really expecting a lot. Mm -hmm. I mean, that might sound a little sad or negative, but I also know the complexities of my conditions. And so the reality of it is some of this damage is done, but what do we do now to kind of get me to a better quality of life? And then, like I said, I think the research coming out of this will be phenomenal. Christine, one, you're an inspiration and I'm so thrilled that you are here with us and you are so willing to so freely share your experiences. You and I have been through the kind of patient experience 
storm of all these different trends going on and kind of experiencing, you know, collaborative care. What is collaborative care? This is the this is the future. But I feel like Christine, you are on the vanguard of what people are now calling patient-led care, which is now the patient taking it in their own hands and being the CEO of their own care experience and their care, um, how their care is being done and research and more. Um, can you tell us a little bit about, you know, how the industry is reacting to this CEO role that you're taking on? And I'm sure having a great doctor is like a huge part point for you and it's hugely helpful, but what is the industry reacting to you and this, what you're doing? Because you, along with other patients and caregivers in this space are starting to say, I have my data, I have my, I have healthcare technology, I have clinical trials available to me more than ever before. I'm going to take the reins of this and run this. Yeah. Well, it's been interesting, right? It kind of depends on which person I'm talking to. <laughs> but I will say I have a lot of support industry-wide. I think a lot of people out there feel like patients should own their own data and really push these initiatives and really push this kind of care. Um, and then other people just really don't see it, right? I've also been in discussions where I've argued with physicians, right, around... His, here's what I know and here's here's my information and they're going back to an EMR and looking at that and not taking my my perspective into consideration. So I think it's a mixed bag, but I, I feel like overall it's been a really good you know response to it. And and I honestly think if you look at all of these things differently, even the drug discovery process. I went through a course years ago that took me from cell discovery to drug development. And in that course I realized we look for a cell first and then we look for patient populations to fit in with what, you know, whatever works. And so I'm thinking of it differently. Why don't we enable these patients with their data to go out there and bring that information to people who may need it? Um, we ran my whole genome and we found that I have thousands of mutations. I have 459 that we can link to ClinVar and Nomad. Um, and I also have uh, mutations that my doctor's never seen before. And so we're getting to now this point in care where now we have all this information but what do we do with it, right? <laughs> and that's a bigger problem, I think, overall is, is how we deal with information that we've never seen before. And, and that's where I think the patient should take that initiative and, and be the driver in that and say, I want you to look at things. And, and I think as patients, we also have to understand there, there may not be cures out there for us right? Um, some of this is research for research purposes, right? And really just to get a baseline of where we're all at. Um, but I think it's fascinating. And I think people are coming around. I think at one point, we are not going to be able to avoid the patient voice uh, and, and thinking along those terms of data. I always tell other patients, no one in this job, no one in this industry would have a job if we weren't sick. But we really have to take a bigger role in this. And and it's been hard, right? I It took me this long to find physicians who would actually work with me and who would take me seriously. I even asked my doctor at one point, 
I was at a conference and there was another physician on stage who was saying he didn't want information from patients. It was a whole overload and it was causing more confusion. And I went back and I talked to my own doctor and I asked her, am I bothering you? Like, is the information that I'm bringing you not helpful? And am I bogging you down? And her response was no, that she loved what I was doing, that it was actually helping her and that she was learning along the way. And the thing that hit me the most was she said, if we can make this work for you, I have other patients that this could work for. Mm. And so that's really my biggest thing, right? Is, is I've had to go through all of this, not by choice, but how do I now pivot that and, and give other people the opportunity to do this earlier and not have to deal with everything that I've had to go through? But I'm looking forward to it, right? I think I think the industry is changing. I think people have different perspectives. They're seeing the value of a patient voice and realizing how important it is to include us in the beginning. Um, and it, I don't know, it, it's a really cool time, but also really scary, you know? Yeah, absolutely, I know. Do you feel like healthcare technology right now helps you or hinders you? And like, where do you hope that there was more innovation? Like what technologies do you wish there could be? And which ones yeah. are you just so grateful for? <laughs> so I think the tech, I grew up in Silicon Valley. So mm-hmm. technology has kind of been ingrained since I was a kid and, and Silicon Valley started in my like teen years, right? So being around a different mindset and different people who thought differently, I think also helped shape the way that I think about these things. I think the technology is phenomenal, right? I've gotten diagnoses based off of technology when doctors wouldn't listen. But I also see a lot of people pushing it as the end all be all. And to me, I think what it is to me is it's a tool. It's something that can help my physicians and me get to better conclusions, better treatments, whatever it may be, and to improve my quality of life. But I think we have to stop looking at it as the end-all be-all. And so I think the technology is great, right? I, I got diagnosed with heart failure in 2020, and I had eight ER visits, 15 telehealth, and everyone kept telling me I looked amazing and to go home. So I asked for a, a Zeo patch. I wore that for two weeks and ended up showing that I was in heart failure. Oh. And so it's a little angering, right? Um, I got a phone call when I was in the car telling me that I was at risk for sudden death and I couldn't be alone. My goodness. And to me at that point, I was so angry, right? I had been to the ER eight times. I had seen... 15 different doctors over telehealth and everyone kept telling me I was fine. And so I think the technology for us as patients is needed because our voices aren't heard. And so if you can back up your story mm-hmm. yep, yep. <laughs> with mm-hmm. technology, I think we start to take people a little more seriously. Mm. I love the so work that you're it really is. It really is. You know, I love the work that the Light Collective is doing, and you're on the board of the Light Collective, and they're yeah. kind of keeping tech accountable here. Can yeah. you tell our listeners what is the Light Collective and what is the issue they're trying to solve for? So, really, we're we originally started. Andrea Downing is our founder, 
And uh, and she's put together an amazing group of patients and built up some amazing cohorts that are working alongside of us. And what we're really fighting is for the idea of digital rights and safe online platforms for patients to be on. And we found some really crazy things in, in our searches and really looking at how technology and how some of these companies are using our data. And so that has been an interesting uphill battle, right? <laughs> to really change the way we look at data and how we use it and to make sure that we're included. And so we've been working on a couple of different projects. We were working on a guide for digital rights and also looking at AI and machine learning and how these things affect us. And a lot of people don't know, right? They don't understand data. It's nothing tangible. It's nothing you can touch or see. And so how do you really talk to people about the importance of something they don't see? So we're trying to tell through stories, you know, what the impacts of some of the, the, these things are. We recently found we started tracking people, right? So we were starting to track the people that were tracking and looking at these metapixels, which are, you know, these little things that scrape our information and then sell them back to Meta and Google for analytics. And we were looking at our social media ads and how these things were affecting it. And for me personally, I used to be big on Facebook. I used to love form. But Facebook now is all advertising for me, right? It's it's drugs for conditions I don't have. It's and the worst is I've gotten funeral arrangements and oh. I've gotten how to make your body into a tree. Oh. And so I don't know what they're collecting, right? I don't know why you would feed me death focused kind of advertisements. But if I didn't know what was happening. I think that would completely affect my mental health, you know, mm -hmm. to have these mm -hmm. ads popping up and, oh. and know what I'm thinking and then have these kinds of ads specifically show up. And so looking at all of these issues and then now we've got AI in it, right? Which is a whole mm -hmm. another ball game. And as a rare undiagnosed patient, I also realize I don't fit into most algorithms, mm -hmm. right? So any type of algorithm that is determined based on other people probably won't, won't work so well on me. And I don't think that as an industry, we see that yet. Mm -hmm. It's like a really, that is horrible to hear and is definitely something I've been hearing across the industry generally. And, you know, the, the toll on your mental health, I can't even imagine you know, in your life, what are things that you do to keep your mind sane, handling all of the paperwork you have to handle and everything that you have to do to just keep on your treatment and other things, you know, how do you keep yourself together? If you want honesty. Yeah, I do. Mm -hmm. It is compartmentalization and keeping mm -hmm. myself occupied. Yeah. If I, if I sit down for too long or if I'm home for, you know, by myself for a while, I have clinical depression that sets in and it hits mm -hmm. hard. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's, I know a lot of people tell me to rest and take it easy and all of these other things. But for me, that's, that's what keeps me out of pain and not thinking about these conditions. And I think, 
over time, right? I've dealt with this all of my life and I, I can compartmentalize these things. And I think it's, I look at things different and strangely, right? I'm able to kind of take myself out of my illnesses and conditions and kind of look at that from a distance and say, okay, this is what's happening. And mm. these are the things we need to do. Um, but I don't internalize any of it. And and I spend a lot of my time, unfortunately, talking about healthcare, but it also fascinates me, right? It's It does give me that energy to think, okay, you're working on this, you're doing this, this could happen, right? Mm -hmm. So I think for me, it's just the distraction. I don't handle it well all the time, um, but I'm managing. If you could recommend, you know, patients or caregivers that want to get involved and start being more, being able to share their story more so that others yeah. can experience, what recommendations would you give to them given your experience? Because, you know, you're everywhere and it's an important <laughs> thing. I mean, yeah. I've learned so much for, from you <laughs> in the past 40. I'm so thrilled that I had the opportunity to learn from you and I just want everyone to learn from you, but you know, <laughs> you can only do so much. So for the patients and caregivers that want to also share, what do you recommend to them? How, how can they start really getting out there to share with their experiences so other can, others can learn from them? Yeah, I would say one of the most important things that, that I had was amazing mentors. And I wouldn't have been able to do it without the people that I met who brought me in and talked to me and really also taught me how to talk to industry. So I have a friend that over the pandemic, I hosted a show on Clubhouse and it was five days a week, every day. But a friend of mine who is out in Barcelona, he was one of my co-hosts and shout out to Christoph if he's listening. But he would take time after every one of our calls and for an hour every day during that pandemic, him and I talked. He loved my story. He loved my insights. But he also knew that some of the things I was saying would come across wrong with this type of audience. Oh, so, interesting. Right? Mm -hmm. So he needed to learn how to talk to patients. And I needed to learn how to talk to industry. And it was a mutual relationship of just how do we do this together? And so it's it's kind of fascinating, right? It wasn't... It wasn't going out to nonprofits or trying to push out my story. It was really finding those people who who could help me and who were interested in my story. So I think it's it's really about getting out there, talking openly, um, but also not dwelling on the illness, right? Mm -hmm. I think that as a patient, the one thing that I've learned is you can't just come complaining. You have to have a solution. And so if we're looking at it as patients, it's not about telling your story. It's about what have you learned along your journey and what can you teach other people out of that? And so I don't know. I think it's really about finding those people, right? A network of people that will support you and, and bring you up and teach you and, and tell you when you're doing things wrong, right? Mm. Because I think that's also an important thing. If you cannot handle criticism, it, it'll be a rough road. But I think if you can and you're open and you're willing to change and really and learn, um, that's what makes the difference. Mm. I just love that. Thank you for sharing that story with us. I, so I'm wondering, you know, to finish this conversation off right, where right. can our listeners find you online? You know, where is the best place to find you? I am everywhere, unfortunately. Social media started out as, you know, 
what brought me here. And now it's the bane of my existence. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I would say LinkedIn is my main platform. I have pages on Facebook and Instagram where I also update people. And so any of those pages you can follow and research to the people. We'll be sharing out little videos and clips and updates as we go along. We're filming a documentary around my journey and, and how we get to this diagnostic process or through the diagnostic process. Um, yeah, so those are, I'm everywhere. So it, my name, I made it easy. I don't have anything in there that's difficult. It's my name and my last name, but you can find me anywhere. Perfect. Now, and you know what we didn't mention, though? I was going to say. Oh, I was going to say, before I forget, did you bring tea with you? I did. I'm going to keep it in that not blur. Aha. Uh -huh. It says healthcare. It says healthcare fuckery all day, every day. <laughs> now, tell us about your mug. I, rec I recognize that phrase. Yeah. This mug is Matthew Zachary. So he has a little oh. shop now on uh, Etsy, I think it is. But he started that little line and him and I are good friends. We've talked through a lot of, you know, the issues and problems that we all face. And so when he came out with this mug and he told us that it was out, it, it was one that I, I had to have. I did tell him we need a water bottle so I can carry it to conferences because this is not convenient. <laughs> <laughs> well, if he does a water bottle or a Stanley or whatever uh, custom edition, I will absolutely order it and carry right. it around at conferences as well. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Too so, yeah. good. Well, thank you so much, Christine, for joining us today. We've learned so much from you and I'm just so grateful you could be on the show. Well, I'm so glad to be here with you and I can't wait to see you wherever we end up next time in person. Absolutely. And thanks to you all too. Check out the High Tea with Grace podcast and YouTube page for more great guests like Christine today. Cheers. Cheers. Like a Girl Media is more than a media network. It's a community. We want to meet you and amplify your voice and the voices of outstanding women innovating in healthcare. Interested in starting your own podcast or hosting an event near you? Connect with us online or in person. We're here to support and empower you. 